a very good morning to you. And a very happy new year. It's great, great, great to see you. Those of you who are here every week and those of you who are visiting, you're very, very welcome. It's lovely to see some new faces. Uh, if you are new or visiting, do uh, come and connect with us. Do come and find us and say hello. We'd love to connect you with this church or whichever part of the body of Christ it is that God is calling you to. Starting as we mean to go on, it's the new year, and because we love the scriptures, if you've got a Bible, turn with Matthew chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 28, very familiar passage. Let's just pray, actually. Father, we thank you for your presence. We ask that you pour out your spirit upon us as we gather as your body, as your church. Will you come and have your way with us and lead us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, uh, it may be that this sounds like a pretty odd place to start uh, the new year, but I don't know about you, but I often find the season around the new year particularly uh, pretty, pretty intense. Uh, it's kind of filled with all sorts of expectations and pressures. You know, it's like if you're not having the most amazing New Year's Eve celebration, um, you just, just give up, you know. Um, this year, our new year was, uh, I think I was tucked up in bed by about quarter to ten. It was, it was awesome. So I feel like there's this pressure, and I've failed uh, miserably. Uh, but that pressure and that intensity of all those expectations and all that kind of stuff, it's really not the way that you sort of want to ease into a new season and the adventure of a new chapter as you embark on the new year. And so... As I was praying about what to speak on this morning and how we as a church, how we want to be embarking on the new year, I felt the Spirit of God very simply say, start slowly. Start slowly. So uh, here we are. And what we have in this probably far too familiar text from Matthew chapter 11 is this wonderful invitation from Jesus to any of us who, although we are only eight days into the new year, are already perhaps feeling a little bit tired and frazzled. Or despite the Christmas break, especially if your Christmas break was anything like ours, where we were all ill, uh, the whole household was ill for the whole of Christmas. Uh, so, you know, you, you may be feeling that you've had Christmas, but you still feel as sort of uh, weary as you did before, or you're already feeling pretty worn out and stressed out and find yourself feeling exhausted, maybe by the Christmas season, maybe um, your kids haven't quite gone back to school yet, uh, that day is fast approaching. Anyway, if that's you this morning, can I just encourage you to sit back, to relax, to breathe, and let the Word of God and let the Spirit of God minister to you. Because if we're honest, even those of us who know and love Jesus and look to him not only as our savior, but also as our teacher and guide, too many of us 
are living with at least a low-level grade of fatigue and anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage from Matthew 11. Uh, this is in the message, and it reads like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And here we've got this invitation of Jesus. What we have here and why I believe that the Lord would have us start the year from this place is this invitation to what might be called and is increasingly popularly called the unhurried life. You know, that kind of life that we all maybe dream of where it feels good, just like in the marrow of your bones, to wake up in the morning looking ahead excitedly to another day as we work out how to follow Jesus. The trouble is, if we're being honest, how many of us would say that much as we love this text, the truth is we kind of don't really relate to it at all. You know, we sort of say to ourselves, well, I think I'm following Jesus. You know, I'm here, aren't I? You know, I showed up at least. Like, give me something. But truth be told, um, I am pretty tired. I am a little bit frazzled and worn out. Um, if I am allowed to say it, I am a bit burned out on religion. Well, if that's you and that's how you're feeling this morning, uh, can I just say to you, you're not alone. Uh, chances are there are people all around you who feel exactly the same way. I, I certainly do from time to time. I read this passage, and much as I love it, I, I, I kind of hear myself saying, well, you know, that sounds great. That's like awesome. Like, I love the idea of that, but hand on heart, I'm not sure it's my everyday experience. But as these are the words of Jesus, this passage has the potential to unlock a whole new dimension in the way that we live our lives and the way we do our discipleship um, as followers of Jesus. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, chances are you'll be very familiar with this uh, passage. But hidden in plain sight is what Dallas Willard calls the secret of the easy yoke. He writes this. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of loving your enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. It's a strategy that's bound to fail. And what he's saying here is so simple and yet it's so profound, because as we've often said here, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, because the way of Jesus is just that. It is a way of life. And it's this lifestyle that Jesus is getting at through this kind of odd 
imagery of a yoke, this first century farming metaphor, which is kind of pretty much lost on most of us, if we're honest. Uh, theologian Frederick uh, Dale Brunner, he wrote this, a yoke is a work instrument. So when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers, tired people, frazzled people need least. Surely they need a mattress or a holiday, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift that he can give those who are tired and weary is a new way to do life, a fresh way to bear what it means to be his followers. And instead of offering escape, which is so often what we all dream of and long for, Jesus offers equipment. He offers tools. And what Jesus means is that walking with him, walking at his pace and at his speed and walking in his steps, what that's going to do is that's going to develop in us a, a balance and a rhythm, a way of carrying life that will actually give us more rest than the way we've all been trying to live. But, as we know, um, life is tricky. And it, it, to us, to me, it just feels like it gets harder and harder, especially as we find ourselves living in the times in which we find ourselves. And, and the weight of all of the responsibilities that we all have, they, they can often feel like they just get heavier and heavier and heavier, especially the older we get. And if we're being honest, all this talk of following Jesus actually sometimes feels like just another weight, another burden, another thing that's being put on us on top of all of the other things. You know, I'm already tired, like I'm working a 60-hour week. I've got one, two, three, four, in some cases, five children to look after. Uh, I'm already way too busy. Do you have any idea what it's like to be me? I don't have any space for any more stuff. And now, Neil, you're up there again saying, you know, I've got to read my Bible every day and I've got to pray without ceasing. And now I've got to sign up for one of these blasted small groups and do leadership training or something or other, I don't know. And you think and expect me to come to church every single week and you want me to give away a chunk of my money and, 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 and. I mean, you're not asking much, are you? It just feels totally overwhelming. Well, uh, if we feel like that, and truth be told, who doesn't, uh, maybe we need to look again at Jesus' picture of this yoke. Now, a yoke was almost always used to pull together two oxen so that they could more easily carry a load or pull a heavy cart or plow a field or do whatever it is that oxen do. And, and what Jesus is saying is, um, I'm, I'm here. I'm right here with you. And I have this thing, I have this yoke. Why don't, you, why don't you come alongside me and match your step, match your pace of life uh, to mine? And, and while, while we're at it, Jesus is saying, why don't you let me carry most of the weight? I'll, I'll do all the heavy lifting. You just come in here, uh, snuggle in right next to me, and it'll be easy. Trust me. If you haven't worked it out yet, one of the hardest ways to do life following Jesus is to carry on living life in exactly the same way 
as all the other people we know around us. To try and be all and do all the things and have all the things that our culture demands of us. And then just try and follow Jesus on top of all of that. That way of living, that way of doing life is firstly incredibly hard. And secondly, it's really, really unbiblical. And chances are failure and frustration are on the horizon. A much easier way to follow Jesus is to radically alter our whole way of doing life and take the pattern that is set by Jesus' lifestyle. Not just in things like the decision to love our enemies and all that kind of stuff, but in our daily routines, in our weekly rhythms and practices. Because when we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, the life of Jesus is the natural overflow. This really isn't rocket science. That's the secret of the easy yoke. But that's going to require a little bit of a shift, perhaps, in our priorities. If you're anything like me, you hear this and you kind of say, well, that all sounds awesome. There's just one minor detail that's been overlooked. To take up the easy yoke, for me to walk in step with Jesus, to live at Jesus' pace, that surely means that I'm going to have to slow down. It means I'm going to have to shift and change my priorities, shift and change the things that I focus on. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I do know that Jesus' pace of life is very different uh, to mine. So something's got to shift somewhere. If there's one thing you pick up from reading the Gospels and reading about Jesus in the Gospels is um, Jesus is pretty never, he was pretty not in a hurry. Rarely, if ever, was he in a hurry. His life was incredibly full. So he wasn't like lazy and passive and just kind of sleeping in. But he was here, he was there, he was everywhere. And yet he would always take time out to get away, to rest, to pray, to connect with the Father. But Jesus was never really in a rush. He was always able to give himself to what was important and to what the father, where the Father was leading him. Jesus would stop without any kind of notice. Interruption after interruption would follow him wherever he went. People around him would get really frustrated with him. It's like, why are you stopping and praying for that woman? It's like, well, she's dying. It's like, well, yes, so is this woman over here. And people would get really frustrated with Jesus because he was just so present in the moment. But he never seemed to be in a hurry. Uh, pastor, uh, speaker, and writer John Ortberg, he was mentored by Dallas Willard. And he called up Dallas Willard one day, you probably heard this, because he was feeling stuck in his discipleship with Jesus and he wasn't where he wanted to be. And, and so he asked Dallas Willard what he needed to do. And he said, he was on the phone to Dallas Willard, and he said there was a long silence on the phone before Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So Orbach went, okay, that's really helpful. Yeah, I mean, you're a really, really great disciple. That's great. awesome. I'll write that down. Thank you. Uh, and then he asked, and what else? And then he said there was another really long pause before Willard said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life of our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. 
You know, if someone were to ask you what's the greatest challenge in your spiritual life, what would you say? Whatever our answer to that question would be, I wonder how many of us would say, hurry. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Um, and we have to remember, you know, that the enemy doesn't always show up in, with a pitchfork and horns. You know, he shows up as the kick that we get from checking our phone every 30 seconds as we try to find out what's going on in the lives of the people that we desperately want to be on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever the latest thing is that I know nothing about, or whether it's staying late in the office desperately hoping that someone will notice the work that we're putting in and give us the promotion that we want, or the enemy shows up as commitment on top of commitment on top of commitment as a life of busy, 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 constantly on the go. Um, Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. The reality is most of us are just far too busy, uh, probably focusing on all the wrong things, to lead emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, rich and vibrant lives. I came across this a while ago, I think you all have heard me say this before, but this, uh, it may well be the case that Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry and overload which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to do life, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and so the cycle just begins again. And we kind of look at that and we don't laugh because we're like, oh, yeah, that's a bit close to the bone. Especially uh, in the wake of the pandemic, wake, <laughs> um, the wake, the aftermath, the continuing thing of the pandemic. You know, I've had uh, like a number of conversations with a number of people here who are part of the church or at least in some cases were part of the church here and Time and time again, these conversations would go along the line of, you know, Neil, I'm feeling really disconnected. I feel disconnected from God. I feel disconnected from people. I feel disconnected from church. I feel disconnected from my faith. And my response would often be, be like, um, are you you're getting along to church every week? And the answer would be, they usually say something like, oh, you know, I'd love to, but we'd just, we'd just be so busy. You have no idea we've just been so busy. And I'd be like... Oh. And then I might ask, are you getting on to your small group? And they'll say something like, oh, yeah, you know, we're all signed up. But honestly, things have just been so crazy. We just had, just had no time to get there. I say, oh. And then maybe I'll ask, you know, are you getting time to pray? <laughs> Whatever. Or like read your Bible ever, or take a rest, or take a day, or take a Sabbath. And again, the answer more often than not would be, oh, yeah, I really want to do those things. But I just really don't have the time. Is it any wonder that you're feeling disconnected from God and from people and from church, from your faith, when you've allowed yourself to get so busy that none of the fundamentals of your faith are in place? Or are being prioritized in your life. Uh, you'll be familiar again with this. I'm sorry that you're familiar with all these things, but the story is told is a wee, a wee free church minister up in Scotland. Uh, it was, uh, he was visiting a, a con member of his congregation one cold winter's evening who'd not been in church for a number of weeks. And the story goes that the, 
the two uh, were sat together and they were sat by the roaring open fire um, and they sat in silence in these two armchairs either side of the open fire. And then after uh, several minutes, absolutely in silence, the, the minister leant forward and he took the tongs and he took the, one of the burning coals out of the fire and he left it, he placed it on the hearth on its own. And again, they sat in their chairs and the two sat in silence as they watched this previously fiery, glowing ember slowly uh, diminish and fade and die as it lost its heat. And then after another few minutes, again still in silence, the minister picked up the now cold ember with the tongs and placed it back in the fire as the two watched the ember come back to life, glowing brightly in the fire and giving off the heat that it was supposed to give. And then without saying a word, the minister got up and walked to the door. And as he walked through the door as he was leaving, the other chap said, Okay, I'll see you in church on Sunday. We need to be seeking first the kingdom. You see, one of the dangers of adopting the unhurried life, of trying to cut out all the busyness that so many of us carry, is that we actually end up cutting out all the wrong things. And so we find other things to do on a Sunday morning. We find other things that distract us from being part of a community in a small group midweek. We find ourselves too busy to serve the people around us. We find ourselves too distracted to be responsive to the leading of the Father and the Spirit of God and to the needs of those that we've been sent to minister to. Most importantly, we find ourselves too busy and too overwhelmed with life to just hear the leading and the voice of the Spirit of God for our own lives and for our families' lives and for our marriages and our homes and all that kind of stuff. So as we embark on this new year, the invitation from Jesus is to a, a slower, less hurried life. But it's also to a slower, unhurried life where we're putting first the things of the kingdom of God. And this is really key. Some of us have been looking at this over the past few years and we've been slowing down but we've been cutting out the wrong bits and been doing the wrong bits. So this is a slowing down so that we've got space to focus on the things of the kingdom and to seek first the kingdom. Writer and theologian Ronald Rollheiser puts it this way. He says, today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but to simply have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are the major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I can't help but wonder if Jesus wouldn't say to many of us maybe here this morning, you know, what he said to Martha in the famous lines from that gospel story, Martha, Martha, and you know, you can just insert your own name in there. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You're in the kitchen and you're so busy and the food's great, you know, and I'm grateful, but here's Mary just sitting at my feet. That's the way of the disciple. And the point is, as we move into the new year with all its possibilities and opportunities, we face a number of challenges. And one of the greatest challenges of all is that of time. Um, but 
the solution of the problem to the problem of time isn't actually more time. You know, how often do you find yourself saying, I just wish there were more hours in the day? The reality is that is not going to solve the problem at all. All we would do if we had more hours in the day is we would fill up those extra hours with exactly the same rubbish that we'd been filling the previous 24 hours that we had, uh, and we would end up just getting more tired and more frazzled. Dallas Willard uh, writes, of course it is a fallacy to think that one just needs more time. Unless a deeper solution is found, more time will just fill up in the same way as the time that we already have. The solution isn't more time. The solution is to slow down, it's to be more present. The solution is to slow down, to simplify our lives around the essentials of following Jesus. And so as we turn into this new year, as we turn our attention to what we'll do differently, uh, we have to learn to live deliberately. We're going to have to slow down so that we can take stock and pay attention and be present. And then we're going to have to choose to what and where, to whom we're going to put our energy and our focus. And the truth is we all have to decide. This is all within our own decision making. These are the choices that we all make every single day. It's a decision and a choice that we face every single morning when we wake up. We all have to decide, are we going to carry on at breakneck speed through life and just try to work in a little Jesus sprinkling on the top? Or are we actually going to radically alter the way that we do life? the foundation of our life, the fundamentals of our life, and reorder our priorities around the things of the kingdom, and in doing so, take up the easy yoke of Jesus. Are you tired? Worn out? Probably now you are. Um, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.